0: Welcome to Unburied Books, a podcast reading through the N.Y.R.B. Classics. I'm Kasia.
1: And I'm Dylan. Our book this week is The Moon and the Bonfires by Cesare Pavese, translated into Italian by R.W. Flint. It was originally published in 1949.
0: The nameless narrator of The Moon and the Bonfires returns to Italy from California after the Second World War. He has done well in America, but success hasn't taken the edge off his memories of childhood when he was an orphan living at the mercy of a bitterly poor farmer. He wants to learn what happened in his native village over the long, terrible years of fascism. Perhaps he even thinks he will settle down. And yet, as he uncovers a secret and savage history from the war, a tale of betrayal and reprisal, sex and death, he finds that the past still haunts the present. I think that blurb kind of pretends to a little more certainty than is actually in the book. Yeah. Which I appreciate because I do the same thing when I'm like querying things I've written. And to discuss this book, we are joined by writer and critic Patrick Preziosi. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you for coming on the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: And we wanted to ask you, as a McNally Jackson employee, how does it feel to cross enemy lines to appear on this
2: podcast? You know, anything to make make a quick buck.
1: (laughs) 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 When was the last time you played New York Review of Books at the softball game?
2: Oh, we played Paris Review.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Did you win or did Paris Review?
1: It was
2: like thirty-five
1: to five.
0: Oh, uh, you won. You were the No. Five? Oh no, no, you guys <laughs> lost. Okay. So Paris Review
2: whooped you. Yes, they asked to stop playing because they got so bored. They were bored. Oh well, I God. mean, that's that's a little bit of an exaggeration. I think, like, you know, when you play baseball and you you run through your batter's rotation, like they're in, they would go twice every inning because, like, we are just so bad. <laughs> Oh, okay. I see. They're like, we're
0: getting tired.
2: I think that was more it. Yeah. Also, Paris (laughs) Review only has like a few full-time employees. Like, so it's a lot of ringers.
0: It's That's what I was going to say. It's ringers.
2: My mom said she liked their shirts better than ours.
0: (laughs) I didn't know. (laughs) Oh, no. I have seen the McNally Jackson shirts. Mm -hmm. Well, they've been at it for longer. They've been hawking merchandise for decades.
2: Oh, I meant the softball shirts, but yeah.
0: Oh, 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 okay,
2: okay. Their their merch is better.
0: So you have softball-specific merchandise? Yeah. Okay, you take it that seriously.
2: My dad said I have a good batting stance. I'm sure you do. Yeah, thank you.
0: Why did you pick this book to discuss of all of the NYRBs you might have chosen? Because I know you've read many of them.
2: Yeah, I think going by favorite authors and... The works that are appropriate for this show, César Pavese is one of my favorite authors. My favorite, I guess, n- novella by him is The House on the Hill, which is collected in the NYRB collected stories of César Pavese.
1: And since you guys mostly do
2: standalone works or novels, this one made
1: the most sense. What was the first thing you picked up from Pavese?
2: It would be this one. And it would be this one because of the... um well, first, the cover is very striking with the silhouettes and the bonfire yeah. and the the, color, the red and the yellow. But also, I had seen the, the Stropier film,
1: which is an adaptation of this. Or half of it is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's a good adaptation of the of the book?
2: You know, anything that Stropier touched, they made absolutely theirs. So I don't even know if I can judge it on those grounds there's a real interesting kinship between Pavese and Stropie and Pavese who was a a translator for most of his life also introduced a lot of the Italian reading public to well his his translation of Moby Dick is uh, yeah. very significant in Italian literary history and yeah. also things like Daniel Defoe and Ernest Hemingway too he translated and Stropri is filmmakers they came, they start a little after Pavese had died. They started working in like the 60s, and the influences they drew on were similarly American. So Strophier, like a lot of other French and German and generally European filmmakers, brought influences from directors that might have been undervalued in the United States in a a way similar to Pavese was translating. Sure.
0: Well, you've said a little of this already, but uh, just to give some background on the author, Cesare Pavese... Oh, God, his name is like, I thought it, Google told me it's Cesare Pavese, oh. which I never would have guessed. Oh.
2: Cesare,
0: <laughs> Pavese, Cesare Pavese. Cesare yeah. We will probably continue to get that wrong, but we yeah. made at least a minor effort. Was an Italian writer of poems, novels, and short stories. As Patrick said, he was strongly influenced by English literature. He wrote his thesis on Walt Whitman and completed translations of many classic texts, such as The Moby Dick, Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, and many more. An anti-fascist, he was briefly exiled to Calabria in 1935. Still, he is considered one of the finest writers of his generation and won Italy's prestigious Strega Prize, Sadly, he died of an overdose at the age of 41. Is there anything else about his his life and work that you think is important for people to know?
2: Yeah, I think that for readers who are familiar with the broader NYRB catalog, it's important for them to know that he was good friends with Natalia Ginsberg. Yes. And yeah. he he has a few subtle appearances, I think, in Family Lexicon.
0: Interesting.
2: Yeah. He's also was friends with Beppe Fenoglio, which I think I'm saying right, who's A Private Affair, was just released by NYRB last oh, spring. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, when I was reading this book, I was thinking a lot about family lexicon. Yeah. They felt like books that you could read as a pair.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. And in The Little Virtues, that collection of essays from Natalia Ginsberg that I think Arcade puts out. She writes a piece dedicated to him after his suicide, which is very moving.
0: Oh, okay. I'll yeah. have to seek that out. Yeah. And you said you were struck by the the cover art.
1: Yes, initially. Yeah, the, the photo comes from The Fire of Epiphany by Carlo Bevilacqua features shadowy silhouettes gathered around roaring fire. And from the camera's perspective, it seems like the flames are almost consuming the figures themselves. It is striking in that way. And do you think it sets the right mood for the book, Patrick?
2: Why I said that I was initially struck by the artwork is because as much as I do like the photo, it feels there's a sense of drama to it Mm -hmm. that I don't know is exactly present in the novel. At least the kind of drama that this evokes. I mean, this looks a bit like... It's got almost like a bit of a, a Jacques Turner, you know, very yeah. oh. shadowy kind of, oh, <laughs> very shadowy kind of horror palette. And it the novel deals with so many, you know, it is a very, I guess, ostensibly dramatic novel. It deals with a lot of terrible things, but they're very plain spoken in a way that maybe yeah. the cover isn't.
1: I think it doesn't really work with about the first 95% of the novel and then the sure. last 5% of the novel. It, um, that when it does when actually become going. pretty scary, yeah, yeah, right. It, the yeah. last like 5% of this book was horrifying. I kept on like audibly going, Oh, I know, and the,
2: it just ends too. It's such a right, oh, yeah, boy, we'll talk
1: about that, yeah. Um, <laughs> Do you th- do you think this is a good starting point for Pavese, if someone's interested in getting into him? I think the
2: the collection that NYRB does might be the better one.
1: This was at the very end of his career, correct?
2: Yes. I'm pretty sure. I think it's either this or Among Women Only
1: that's like the actually
2: I think last completed work of his. And Among Women Only is in the the one of the four stories in the nyrb collection i keep referring to on reading this again after reading maybe seven (laughs) pavese novellas and projects i've also read this business of living his diaries sometimes Mm. also published as the burning brand i think the collection is a good starting point because it's got also i know some people have issues when a collection of an author's works has some juvenilia in it but the first story Mm -hmm. in that is a story called the beach which for lack of a better term is juvenilia but it does situate him within a certain it makes the more obvious italian elements of his writing all the more obvious and identifiable. and then after that Mm -hmm. you get the house on the hill which i've said is my favorite one and i think That could be the best one too, but that one is also so emotionally devastating and also so weirdly even keeled throughout all this violence and um, just people losing track of one another that it's really kind of unnerving his writing style.
0: Mm.
2: But yeah, I mean, I guess maybe with with what we have in English, there is no real ideal starting point with him. Mm. I think maybe you just have to do it because... All his work kind of circles the same sort of violence and themes and whatnot. Gotcha.
0: Mm. Gotcha. Well, this book begins with a nameless, orphaned narrator returning to his native Italy after over twenty years away. What do you think he is looking for, and do you think he finds it?
2: He does not find it. uh, That one. (laughs) That one one first.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Cross that one off the list. Yeah.
2: Well, he doesn't even seem to know what he's looking for. He's a bastard child, as mm-hmm. he frequently reminds us of. He's adopted basically from the orphanage, so the family that takes him in can get the government stipend. So it's not even that. He isn't welcomed into this family out of generosity or charity. Mm. Yeah. So then he leaves to America for a while, and then he comes back. And I guess it's implied that he he's successful. He's made if not a fortune, at least what would be considered a fortune to the peasant population that he's returning to. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And it's, no, he seems to be looking for an answer on what to do next. He's left. Mm -hmm. And when he left, he went to America and hung out. And then he comes back and now he's back and he's almost distraught. I don't think he reaches that level of emotion but he seems distraught on not really feeling he feels that time has passed but he doesn't feel exactly different himself that not much has changed within himself.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite parts of the book is he he mentions how he had had a kind of fantasy of coming back with his all his money and kind of like looking at the people in the streets and recognizing people mm-hmm. and have them be like, "Oh, you're here." you've made it, like, and them being impressed by him and having this, like, moment of victory and he doesn't know hardly anybody left and no one recognizes him and he constantly needs his friends and others to, like, make introductions Mm -hmm. for him and that is just kind of representative of the whole, this lack of sentimentality that you find in the book, which is oddly comforting to me Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I don't know why, because you've said it. I mean, these books circle violence and they're very ghostly. And
2: yeah. they're either, and, yeah, I mean, then they're written across the duration of the Second World War.
0: Right. But I. Fascism mean, it, in Italy. It's something about the fact that it's so much about memory. It, it feels almost comforting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's an uncomfortable position that it puts you in, because I don't often read books that are about a character returning home with this much darkness
1: mm-hmm. waiting mm. for them. I'll also say that it's not just he finds his way home. It's almost like home finds him when he's in America. There's an a, yeah. Italian man that sort of shows up and he says, there's a, there's an interesting line. He says, before he even opened his mouth, I recognized him by his height and his walk. Yeah. That he, that he was like from the place I was from. Mm-hmm. He knew the same friends. He was able to check in on like Nuto, who we'll get to. Yeah, that's one of the other main characters of the book. But yeah, it's almost like he can't escape home. Like he yeah. he he will be returned to it at some point, whether he likes it or not.
2: And when he meets that Italian laborer in the States, he conveys that recognition with just kind of nothing. He even says he's such, he looks him straight in the eyes. He doesn't like he doesn't smile
1: or anything. And he just starts speaking to an Italian. And that's yeah.
0: mm.
1: it. Once again, that anti sentimentality that Cassia just yeah. absolutely loves. <laughs> yeah <laughs> everyone just wants to sell him some land or their house i know <laughs> i kind of yeah. like that ongoing little thing of like oh do you want to buy this farm do you want to buy my farm yeah, and like, yeah. Uh. well and he
0: he likes to pretend like he might
1: yeah
2: i
0: mean
1: yeah you, know, he, you get a glass he, of he wine along.
0: right exactly
1: yeah but when we talk about his life in america like it's like we said like a lot of this does take place in america and did you, did you read the introduction, Patrick?
2: Yeah, so i read it. A, I've read it both times. I've read the novel. Yeah, yeah. So you never so went the, to America.
1: It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mark Rudman, the author of the introduction, does call this the most American novel ever written in a foreign language. Do you agree? And what would you say is the significance of him having left for the United States?
2: I don't know if I agree with
1: oh, gods. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we didn't yeah, and it And the, the intro is pretty incisive but he makes some very kind of strange and unsupported claims throughout. <laughs> I think there's, at, a, at one point he does- Sorry, Mark. At one point he says, there's a disquieting European post-war ambience to Moon that is reminiscent of another key work written in 1949, Waiting for Godot. American readers not familiar with Pavese's fiction are probably acquainted with the Pavesian mood through Antonioni's films. So we jump straight from Beckett back to another, to an Italian filmmaker. And waiting for Godot is not mentioned ever again.
0: <laughs> are you a fan of introductions or NYRB introductions in general? Or I am. You are? Okay, okay, you are. Yeah,
2: and this one I do think is—I do think this one is—is is necessary to read. Maybe mm-hmm. for people who haven't read the novel, they should read it afterwards. I think it's interesting too how Rodman situates this novel within. Pavese's reputation. He even says R. W. Flint, who translated it, he doesn't think it's one of Pavese's most indicative works. Sure,
1: mm-hmm. I I, w- I do want to go back to the, the the national identity of this book though. When you said yeah. you don't think it's the most American novel, and there was an interesting comment you made towards the beginning of the episode where you said you can just like feel Pavese's like Italianness to yes. him. What what do you think defines that Italianness, and why don't you think it is an American novel in that way then?
2: Well, there's the emphasis on family and a larger community that the family resides within, which the narrator even says does not exist within America.
0: Mm-hmm. If
2: he has a girlfriend in America and he kind of balks at the fact that she has not introduced him to her mother and father. So there's a preoccupation with, with nature and the hills and whatnot mm-hmm. that is very Italian so it does make sense that the narrator ends up on the west coast. Yeah. But even then he's 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 realizing differences more than he is realizing similarities.
0: Having gone to America seems like the appropriate place for this character specifically to go because of his his family ties or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. It seems like this sort of blank tabula rasa where that he can explore it would be a very different book if he had gone to France sure. and, and then come back like if that. If there wouldn't have been the same contrast between him and the rest of the world. But yeah, I mean, one of the things I really enjoyed about this book was what an incredible sense of placement in a topography that you get yeah. because oh, we're yeah. constantly like there look, you feel like you're down in a Valley or you're up on a Hill and you're always looking up or over or around something. Mm-hmm. I found that chapters often end at a at a point of transition between yeah. one sort of environment and another. And that was really beautifully done.
2: I was realizing too that I don't you know, so little of Paveze across his work, so little of it takes place indoors. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I think this novel barely has any sort of scene in an interior place. Or if it is, if it is an indoor setting, it's still one that the outside world penetrates to a certain degree.
1: Like the windows are open. The
2: windows are open.
1: Yeah. There's no yeah. doors.
2: These are just grottos and doorways. Exactly. No window panes. Yeah. Right.
0: And that speaks mm-hmm. to that feeling of community that exists yes. there. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, he he says he walks right up to the window at Nudo's workshop. Yeah. And sits mm-hmm. with him there always having wine at the windowsill with one person on one side and the narrator on the other. And they sit outside at the piazza also, even though it's broiling hot.
0: And that's where he stays.
1: Yeah, and
2: we rarely even hear of his hotel also.
1: What do you think would make an American novel written in a foreign language? What is there an example of that that you would pick from? Uh, off the top of your head? It's, you know,
2: I think about it and then I realize it has... There's sort of these, the ideas that I have for something that could qualify also have all these genre signifiers that I think also make it too, I'm not that significant of a title. Like if I think
1: of someone. Yeah, I like, don't like that identification either. So. Yeah.
2: And it's like, if I think of something, if I think of like Jean-Patrick Manchette,
1: mm. you know, it's I mean. It's like noir qualities or something. Yeah,
2: which is, I guess, American, but that's almost by default, you know. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And what what the hell is an American novel?
2: Yeah, like, well, we new podcast gets started at yeah. this moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and the American influences themselves are so disparate. I mean, it's it's Hemingway and Melville and Whitman.
0: <laughs> right. Three very different authors. Yeah. I, I just kind of think there is one school, the school of talent, and like I, f- I feel like those are just great writers on their own I will have, I have mixed feelings about Hemingway but mm-hmm. um Pavese was just a, a great writer and he stole from it every anywhere and everywhere as as yeah. he should mm-hmm. so one of the central relationships in the book is the narrator's friendship with Nudo I enjoyed this aspect quite a bit. So Nudo in his youth was forced to choose between carpentry and his clarinet. Seems like the carpentry won out. The big difference between these two is that of course Nudo has always stayed. And that seems to be the central kind of tension between them that we explore. But how did you see these two characters helping us investigate the place that the narrator escaped?
2: I think... First, Nudo has, he's a cultural figure in the town and the surrounding community. He's the one who's leading the band around on all these different fair nights. I think he's a few
1: years older than the narrator.
2: Like they're close in age, but he's, he's older enough that he has an authority
1: that that there's an interesting thing that happens when you're a kid and someone's three years older. It seems like exactly like he treated him as, as a child. It was like this is a, an older person to look up to and follow. And now that it's like 43 and 40, it's like we're just sort of the same age. And there's yeah a difference there about. But there's him. also the
2: thing of Nuto's. He's kind of the he's the village Marxist. I yeah, <laughs> he's referred to as and, you know, Paveze was in the Italian Communist Party. For a little bit. Yeah. I think the political leanings of the eel are pretty vague. I don't even think he, I even know if he really feels anything which speaks to his character, his rootlessness, and this blankness that he has. Right. And the eel is his nickname. Oh yeah, the eel's a nickname. The their narrator's nickname. Yeah. Yeah. And Nudo also has an authority over whatever changes may have happened while the narrator is gone yeah. because he was there. And he's the one who recognizes the narrator when he returns. He's, he's the link to the narrator's past. And he's also, he's the link to the, to the, to the town and the village's past as well. Mm-hmm. And Nudo's the only one who really will be, you know, well, we find out that he is withholding, which plays into the yes. ending, which I assume we'll talk about later. But mm-hmm. still, he's relatively forthcoming and honest about what he did during the war, what happened during the war which is pretty different than the townspeople because there's the section where the two the two bodies, the rainwater sort of carries two bodies that were buried in the hills down into the town. And it's two executed, I think, Italian fascists from during the war. Even though this is after the war, the townspeople take a very pro, not explicitly pro-fascist stance, but by by way of being very intensely anti-communist, anti-partisan. Yeah. They come back yeah. around to supporting the fascists because they're, mm-hmm. they're, they feel so sorry for these two boys who were shot in the back of the neck or executed. And that just, that shows that um, there's a certain gen, there's a, a, there's a level of mistrust at play in this town, you know, because the narrator has been gone he has no choice but to see things through the eyes of people who were there while he was not
1: so when we talk about like these dead bodies that were recovered from the hills and like like you said it's in the aftermath of world war ii and the town is still like reckoning with the political fallout of that conflict Mm -hmm. how does that post-war atmosphere heighten like the narrator's story specifically
2: well i think as we've been saying the narrator feels feels a sort of intense change that he can't put a finger on, but he also feels a lack of change. And after having gone through Italy, having gone through World War II, to kind of return to an attitude of sympathy for fascists, I think is a little destabilizing for him. And it's also, I think, plays into Peveze's own, I don't want to call him pessimistic. I think he's just so extremely melancholic that he skirts pessimism. You know, we've gone through this war, we've gone through World War Two, and still we have these people clinging on to fascism who uh, reject any idea of progress, of communism, of socialism.
0: Just overall, what did you think of the way that politics was handled and kind of interwoven into this story? because it felt almost imperceptible when the politics mm-hmm. would sort of float in. It was so neatly tied into everything. How did you read that?
2: The narrator has a certain ambivalence that I think Peveze developed in himself too, after a certain point. And I think the the village has to reckon with what they did during the war that is technically against the Germans, against the Axis powers, but they still have to weigh the consequences of what they've done, which once again plays into the ending. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The narrator's own ambivalence, too, comes from the distance that he's he's put between himself and the, the place yeah. where
1: he came from. Literally thousands of miles of distance. Yes. Right.
0: There is this slight sense of guilt maybe or a sense that he's skipped out on something Mm -hmm. that he should have in some way contributed to
2: i think the ambivalence comes from there's also this tight-knit community that's somewhat impenetrable and i think pavese himself is you know has Nuto really brought nudo the village communist the village marxist has he brought like a semblance of socialist thought to the village Mm -hmm. at all I mean, do we see that
1: apart from just what he's kind of has the reputation as? I don't know, yeah like I like you said, I don't think he's really penetrated it
2: yeah, I mean, it's a pretty frightening scene when when the narrator's standing with the townsfolk and suddenly everyone is feeling sorry for the fascists who have whose bodies mm. have yeah.
1: have appeared, and there's like a priest there that's sort of leading this, yeah, the priest um, too,
2: yeah.
0: I loved the when the priest popped up and the different ways that he had to kind of navigate the handling of the bodies in order to mm-hmm. not like cr- cross any lines with different sure. people different constituencies in the town.
2: There's no real ceremony for the the partisans mm-hmm. who are hanged just a few years later. Right.
1: And when we talk about these sort of dead bodies where even in America there's a part he's like he's driving trucks there for mm-hmm. a bit and there's one part where his truck breaks down. Oh yeah, in the desert. He's in the desert mm-hmm. and he starts imagining how you know if if he can't get rescued he's going to end up he describes it as a bag of clothes and bones in a in a in a ditch and yeah. nothing else. And when they recover I think I think this one is a German that they recover a German body they describe it as so completely mutilated by decomposition mm-hmm. and rot that there's nothing there but bones and, and, and clothes. And it kind of... I thought it was an interesting point in which, you know, America didn't have to deal with death on their soil the same way Italy did in World yeah. War II. But there mm-hmm. was... It, it it recognizes that death is, is still always present, no yeah. matter where you are. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was interesting. I, that's been on my mind.
2: Yeah. Well, I think, too, you find these... You find pieces of of humans kind of scattered around and Mm -hmm. as much as they are just bones they're decomposed or to bring up the ending as much as they're just like you know a streak of ash in the ground there's kind of no way there's there's no way to erase these deaths
1: yeah yeah you're, you're really just acting like Nuto in this book where you just keep on giving <laughs> fragments of like what happened, but you won't tell us until we get to the spoiler section in this discussion. He keeps, up, was he like, keeps sucking his teeth, tight Yeah. You yeah. weren't here. You weren't
2: here. <laughs> you weren't here.
0: Yeah. I kept thinking of the idea of, or the melding of the idea of the fatherland that many fascists would buy into, and then... Contrasting that with the narrators the eels lack of, of father, a father mm-hmm. a solid father figure and it seems like you know maybe if he had had a family he may have had a reason to fight he would have had something to defend for it seems a lot of people yeah. justify their actions in the war saying well they would have burned down my house yeah. And that's why I had to do what I had to do, just basically protect my my mm-hmm. property. Of course, that the house burning does become very significant. Burning, as you can tell from the title, is significant to the to the book. But yeah, I just I, I felt like the way that the personal and political were combined together was one of the most masterful parts of the of the whole effect.
2: Yeah, of mm-hmm. the book. And I think is saying that the the personal doesn't doesn't just encourage political action it also it, it discourages it as well mm-hmm. because i think as much as the narrator looks up to Nuto and he's considered a hero he drops those hints throughout that he, he wasn't really with the partisans yeah he wasn't really up in the hills fighting he was sometimes right. but compared to others he wasn't his mother was sick that's what he, he kind of he keeps saying yeah
0: Everyone has an explanation
2: Yeah, for mm-hmm. why they did what they did. Exactly. Uh,
0: whether it's for them or for other people or who knows. But
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I think Nuto has a lot of good lines. What is it? You're not a communist just by wanting to be.
2: Yeah. I love that one. Mm-hmm. What did you think of Rudman saying that he couldn't finish the book the first time? Because he was so annoyed. Like, were you annoyed with Nuto? Or- no, I loved
0: Nuto. I,
1: yeah, I did it like we kind of said i didn't really agree with a lot of what rudman was saying yeah. and i guess that's interesting because it gives a different perspective than the one i had and, and sometimes that's interesting but a lot yeah. of the stuff that because i read the introduction after i read it and i was like oh i didn't get any of this this is not at all what i was feeling
2: i mean maybe there's like a little kind of shameless hero worship from the narrator
1: but i think that's
2: i think pavese's that's something to be critical of and i think he is
1: if there was anything that really kept me reading, the thing that would always make me turn the page, it was because of Sinto and when it, like just hoping Sinto would come back. Oh, the little boy,
2: yeah, and he's he's an interesting. Um, I like how he he parallels the narrator as well. He's living in the he's living in the narrator's first farmhouse,
1: yeah, with his first yeah. family,
2: but Sento has the lame legs, so his, if he were to escape, he's even
1: more impeded than the narrator ever was. Sure. Yeah, he's almost physically supposed to be kept in this house. Like exactly. It's mad that this one guy got to escape. Now the, 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 the next generation needs to be kept here almost. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Sinto. So the narrator meets meets him early, early on. And as you said, he kind of sees himself in a younger version of himself in him, although there are important differences. He's crippled and he does have a family present in his life.
2: And his family's very, well, the father
0: very abusive very
1: abusive in a way yeah valino i believe the name yeah valino
0: right but but it's almost like those two extremes are almost the same it's like i have no father or i have a father it's just like beats
2: me it's one or the other yeah
0: yeah that's all you're gonna get what did you make of his role in the plot because he does become increasingly central particularly near the end uh and did you think this book had a plot as such
2: (laughs) You know, I think if Sento was handled differently, he'd be a little too cloying. But you know, I think there there are times when Nudo and then the narrator are generally just annoyed with him, which I think helped. I think you know we're not supposed to think that these are the best men. These are just coincidentally the two men who are the protagonists yeah. of this novel, and there I think it's even Nudo who's like that kid's dumb, like. It, <laughs>
1: When they introduced Sento, it was like, I thought, like, is this guy in the more technical sense, like, dumb? Like, can he not talk? Because, like, he doesn't talk at first. And then when everyone's laughing, it says, like, Sento opened his mouth and no sounds came out. He was just, like, mocking the physical action of laughing. Yeah. I was like, what the hell's wrong? <laughs> I know.
2: Well, it's Sento lives with, like, this abusive old man, a grandmother yeah. who doesn't speak and, like, a really withdrawn mother. And so he has no
1: real... He doesn't know how to connect to another human. Yeah, kingdom.
2: he has no template for like how humans act or interact. He, yeah. He's always closing his eyes when people are yeah. talking to him. As for a plot, I think the plot is his return. That is like a mm. that's a dramatic enough plot point that it does qualify. But beyond mm. that, no, it more follows him wandering through the hills and whatever sort of memories that stirs up, rather than any sort of forward motion i think it's almost like the past overtakes the present of the novel yes even structurally as it continues
0: that is a really good point
2: yeah those passages that are memories become even more frequent and longer yeah and it's yeah. it's a little more reliable in the beginning it's sort of like it's present day and then it's the past and then it's the present again and then these these are short chapters too each one's only about three to four pages But then near the end, the chapters start to be exclusively about the past Yeah. until the final two, I think.
0: As you move further into the novel and the past does begin to overtake the narrator's present situation of kind of just bumbling around and seeing what he might, might do now. Stay in Italy, go back to the US, who knows? All these different threads of the story and different characters come up. You know, like we, we remember the family on the farm where where the narrator used to work. We learn more about Nudo. There's cinto There's these dead bodies popping up and d- the villagers handling it in different
2: ways. There's the little bald lawyer. I really like him.
0: The bald lawyer.
2: The, the, the cavalieri who shows up and he's, yeah. he's, he's one of the more down-to-earth characters, maybe even more so than Nudo, but he's just really yeah. depressed for good reason.
0: What? threads of the story, thread or threads of the story, did you connect with the most? Because there were so many to choose from.
2: I think the first time I read the novel, it's uh, his time in America. I remember being so evocative. Oh, It was okay. kind of impossible not to connect to that because it's uh, even, uh, it's idea of loneliness and sort mm-hmm. of, and relationships and whatnot were very reliable and universal. I was drawn more into the past this time also because there's so many names. It is a lot like Natalia Ginsburg in that aspect where just characters are just stacked atop one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, All these names sort of come out of nowhere.
1: I actually have to say, I completely disagree with you at least on my first read where I found the stories of loneliness. I was like, Oh, I I didn't really get into the American (laughs) part and the past where it's about like family and, and yeah. work that was that's that's the more reliable theme for me when i was reading so i was very interested in that but kasi on the other hand she felt none of that for the the stuff in the past
0: well i i really liked nudo i just wanted to like me go up nudo. to him i liked when he would just kind of drink and start like spouting off philosophical things and then contradicting himself like i just i wanted to spend time with him and i i also just enjoyed the narrator's personal quest Mm -hmm. i found that compelling and i cared less about like the intricacies of the family but i guess there's something for everybody
2: yeah (laughs) i mean the writing's so beautiful like the narrator is saying things like uh, he's like there was a tree there once, and now it's not there. Just like he's so yeah. attuned to the minutiae of the natural world of this village.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. I mean, we haven't said that enough. Maybe uh, the language is just the. It's so there's so much clarity to it. Yeah, and it ev- it it evokes so much beauty in mm-hmm. so few words. And yeah and I, it's in translation and so kudos to the translator i know he yeah. won the pen translation prize the year this book came out and i actually he has have
2: deserved i have an excerpt from his please please read from his diary actually Ooh, about wow. writing about nature translated by a.e. merch and, oh, hi. oh yeah there he is on the cover <laughs> <Thank
0: you. laughs> he's got great hair
2: i know yeah so this is written i'm assuming the novel was was in some sort of infancy at this time this is in December 1948, where he writes, a place that pleases you, Turin with its red clouds in winter, the countryside, parks, and so on, is not to be described enthusiastically as you did when you were young. Rather, it should be presented in a plain, clear-cut fashion as life is to a man who lives there. That is its true expression as in Dostoevsky, for instance. In that way, indirectly, such places will remain in the imagination of the reader. One obtains what one does not strive for, which... Mm-hmm. I think is exactly what he did in the novel. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. interesting too that he he says this is not the kind of it's not the writing of a young person to be enthusiastic no. about their surroundings, which considering that the narrator is no longer young and he's been away for a while, you know, he's not enthusiastic. I think. No. Maybe he's enthusiastic in remembering things, but in terms of actual description. Sure. It's like Cassius said, it's very clear. Uh, it's lyrical, but it's not, I don't know, it's not romantic maybe? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. disillusioned, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: but not in the way that like a 23-year-old is disillusioned. Exactly. He has an appreciation for for youth mm-hmm. and for the memories of his youth and for the opportunities that he sees them very clearly and isn't it doesn't withhold it doesn't pull, pull any punches when describing the tragic fates that different people that he's known have suffered
2: yeah mm-hmm.
0: i mean it just it like mariel spark or somebody like that who just kind of drops a dead body on you and it's like yep this happened
1: i uh also just think that he seems to have a passion for the land and even yeah. land that can't even be farmed like even bad land he like describes in such eloquence and i think that has to be talked about when we talk about this book is just how evocative it is of this northern italian countryside i was trying to look up and sort of pinpoint around where it seems to be taking place and it seems to be like south of turin but north of genoa like a northwest region of italy and i feel like i can see it yeah incredible and I've, I've never been to Italy. I, I asked you, though, Patrick, like you'd been to Italy, but you hadn't been to like this part of Italy, right? No, I haven't. Yeah. Would you want to go there? Oh, yeah. Our honeymoon <laughs> is going to be to Italy.
2: Ooh. In the oh, spring. heck yeah.
0: Where, where are you going?
2: Well, so Ilio Viterini is has won out over Pevezi, so we're going to Sicily. I
0: see. There you
1: go. You said you're Sicilian. You're not yeah, Italian, Yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, after reading it's totally the, the
2: Vittorini, who's also friends with Pavesi and Ginsberg and all, yeah, that yeah, has a novel called Conversations in Sicily, and nice. And when I read that, I was like, yeah, I'm Sicilian.
1: <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna Are you gonna try to like sit in carpenter workshops with open windows and drink wine with them and talk? No, I think I'm just gonna bring the books with me.
0: <laughs> yeah, forget the actual people.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: You can yeah, read then, about
1: the people. I don't need to be with the people. Yeah. Tell the people to be quiet. I'm trying to read about
2: them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh Are you gonna reread that book on when you go there? Or which one? The conversations oh, with a yeah. Sicilian. Conversations yeah, okay. in Sicily,
2: yeah. In Sicily, which, okay.
1: Stroke also adapted. Oh my god! Yeah, you're okay. Always on it. Yeah, Cassie and I say that you're probably the most prol- prolific reader we know. It seems like you're reading everything. It's incredible. Reading everything, and you- you've read more than anyone else. Oh, but ever. you had Alina Stefanescu on the show. I feel like she. I'm not saying there isn't competition. So we're not begrudging sure, sure.
0: anybody in the past,
1: but yeah, <laughs> yeah no. Al- Alina, Alina can compete there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, guys. <laughs> How do you do it? <laughs> Yeah, what's the
2: secret? Three years unemployment between, between twenty twenty and like twenty But it's in
0: the it's in real time though. You're you're still well, yeah. at an incredible rate. Uh I don't know. I just,
1: just do it. Just do it. Okay. As, as just said, do it. Yeah. The fresh yeah. the other frustrating thing is you're also like the most prolific film watcher. Not I, don't know, in a I haven't watched
2: a movie in like three months.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I, we, we, I just yeah. always am like, we can walk you seem to have seen every movie that I want to see. And that, that makes me frustrated as well. Yeah, but don't be because like, I
2: have no, it's one of the more regrettable things I've done is just like three movies a day during 2020 to the point where it's like, well, I've watched every, I have nothing new left from people I consider my favorites.
1: Sure, sure.
0: Well, then you make new favorites. Yeah. yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's
0: <laughs> not enough good stuff out there. There's
2: no, no, there's there's no more
1: borsages and lubiches and stuff. Exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: exactly. It's spoiler time. We've had fun, especially because this book is so short. I think if you are interested in the book, we've given you a good introduction to it. You mm. have to stop here. And, and I do don't think read Rudman's you... intro. Yeah, yeah, don't read it Until yeah. afterwards. Really glad I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I think for those that have read it, we need to make sure we discuss the last, I don't know, 20 pages. So the narrator's uh, most significant ties in this book are mainly to a wealthy family who own a farm where he works and goes to live on at the age of 13. And kind of compares it to like the family that we see in Sinto's life that is working on the farm that he grew up on. And they both of these sort of parallel stories, almost the past and the present, sort of convulge at the same point, and in a great heap of tragedy. Um, Conflagration. How do you
0: Conflagration. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's a Perfect. great way to put it. Yeah. So, how how do you compare the fate of Sinto's family to that of Sor Mateo's family?
2: I think I with Sinto's family, I think we just we realize a certain the extreme inequality of, of circumstances have not. Changed at all in the narrator's time away to the point where a man will kill his wife, her mother, burn his fields, and then hang himself. Oh, mm. and try to kill his son, but just yeah, was he, unsuccessful. Yeah. So he hanged himself first. Yeah. Yeah. Which is then an even more devastating part afterwards when the, the woman who owns the land that they farm on says that Cinta will be saddled with the debt.
0: Yes, for the burnt oh, yes.
2: for the rest of his life because he's the only family member left alive.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, it is a great explosion of violence, and it 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 really is like a reckoning of God came down. Valigno destroys everything. Mm-hmm. You know,
2: all within um, a few pages too. Which I instead guess. of yeah, instead of this, with the family at the at the Mora, which is the farm that the narrator works at. Instead of it being a parallel, I think it it it, con- it contrasts them more because the narrator is remembering years and years of of build up and sort of yeah. characters disappearing and and fading away. Whereas, yeah, one day Sinto, I mean, he is the was it the woman comes? I think and she takes away mm-hmm. more of the crop than they were prepared for her
1: to take yeah. away. I, I will say also just the way that they find out about the events that happened from Volino. It's just like Sinto comes running up the road and is like, help, my dad yeah. killed everyone and burned everything down. And they're like, that didn't happen, Sinto. Yeah, because well, the fire
2: is like, already over too. Yes. The narrator has like, missed Sinto. everything once
1: again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it, as, as the reader is in disbelief, the characters are as well. And mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting parallel where it's like that really does wouldn't have happened you i mean
2: you are you you are taking the word of a child
1: yeah in something that's so mature and terrifying like yeah there's there's also an interesting line that Nuto says i think what especially when he's talking about communist thought he said you can be born in squabble or in a castle it doesn't matter your fate can be as terrible either way and that's why i thought it was sort of interesting to compare sito's tragic family story to Mm -hmm. um the one with Mora, because they have three daughters, right? Yeah. Sor Mateo does. And there's Irene who, she gets typhoid and yeah. she's left almost crippled by that to mm-hmm. the point where she can barely move. And then they, he's, she's kind of forced to marry this guy who becomes completely abusive to her and takes her away and is almost like never seen from again. Yeah. Then there's Sylvia who I think is the oldest and she gets pregnant and dies of an abortion yeah. and that's terrifying and then i don't know do we want to talk about santa's uh, resolution at this point yeah please yeah so santa had an interesting role during the war
0: well santa is kind of the most special the the narrator has a special attachment to her yeah over, we should also say the girls.
2: these girls are like the picture of Youthful beauty, in the area. Yeah.
1: what I talked about flashbacks to this family, was the stuff that I liked the most. There's this one part where Nuto and Eel are like outside the doorway of, I think it's Irene that's playing the piano. Yeah. And you know they they have this separation between this these wealthy girls and them, but like Nuto knows about music and he's like yelling at her that like you got this part wrong and mm-hmm. i thought there was like that was like a really beautiful interaction in that in that in that moment
2: and the mother wants but... her to stop
1: playing piano so she will yes. throw her fingers out of
2: she won't ruin her fingers basically
1: yeah like you said santa is like kind of the most the most beautiful the most captivating the most everything to this narrator during the war she is helping the partisans in, in Nudo and people kind of fight it back against the Italian fascists. And then the partisans learn that not only is she doing that, but she's also working with the fascists and she's supplying them with information. And they mentioned some massacre that was basically orchestrated by her. Like she gave the information to let it happen. And in punishment, they, they kill her. They very specifically mentioned that she's wearing this gorgeous white dress when they do. It's mm-hmm. sort of this like fate, this false innocence yeah. in her. Uh, they gun her down. Well, she's trying like, to escape. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they come kind of, they knock on her door and she runs
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they describe it as like a hailstorm of bullets just as rain down upon her. And mm-hmm. you can imagine how mutilated her body would have been by that alone. It gets and then worse. And then they're like, well, you know, if we put her body in the ground, like this terrible soul will still be living there just underneath dirt. What we need to do is we need to put a bunch of dry sticks on her, as many as we could find, and burn her until she is nothing but ash. Yeah. And Nuto is telling the, the narrator Eel this, and that quote ends where he describes that, like, amazingly terrifying quote, but like, and the the black scar is still on the land today where she was burned. Yeah. And so I read this book on a PDF. So I try to scroll to the next page, and I'm like, and I'm like, there's not. It's that's is it. There next page, and I, I like re-download the the PDF again, and I, I scroll, 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 and I'm like, oh my god, that is the end. Yeah. I didn't have this like physical like oh yeah that that is the end. But I'm like, you're kidding me.
2: That- <laughs> <laughs> well, also, and even be Noodle has that awful awful line where he says you can't cover a woman like that with dirt and just leave her too many men still drooled at the thought of her
1: oh where he's
2: implying that you know that these men and these partisans in the hills will violate her body even after her death well, there is, there's a necrophilia to
0: the whole book because yeah. it's almost all like a romance of all of these the ghosts difference. of the yeah. war. And yeah. I, that the, kind of going back to the first question I asked when I got to the end, I kind of thought, oh, I had a different experience in Dylan. I was like, oh, that's it. That's yeah. our ending. And I was like, you know, the narrator's probably unbeknownst to himself. He's come back for her. Yeah. He came back for her Mm -hmm. and he can't even find her her dead body, which just seems like the most, like she's just a scar in the land. She's gone. Like she's completely gone. Even the, the other fascists that, that washed up from the rain, Mm -hmm. we can find them. But like the one like precious thing that he might be able to cling to is, has also vanished, which is just so gutting, but also (laughs) just, the kind of uh punctuation that uh, that a book like this needs
1: Mm -hmm. it's so i just kind of
0: like like when horrible things happen in a book dylan's just like no and i just applaud i'm just like yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) check out our ivy compton burnett discuss yeah (laughs) Yeah, and it's like i so i was really trying to point out that part where it talks about the visual motif of like these bodies from the hills or him in like the desert it's like there would be nothing but bones and clothes and that's like as yeah. empty and complete utter human destruction as you can imagine mm-hmm. to a point but and then you get to that ending and you're like no it could be worse you can, can literally be, be a scar on the land and nothing more
2: but that's so I, I don't know how to say this I, I don't think it's meant to be like uh, hope springs eternal or something but that's still something you know and that's actually like the that's that's what's also devastating about the book is that the 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 way that the past is still preserved in all these different ways the ways in which you're reminded
1: of who has died and in what way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and when we talk about how Nudo is always giving him like pieces of the the past that he he missed out on Mm -hmm. you know I I thought at the very least like we would have another page or two where it's like the narrator sort of reckoning with what Nudo just said but almost in the way where it cuts off it's like we have to be the narrator at that point and reckon with the path that the past that was revealed in the end we're, we're the ones that have to sit with mm-hmm. and discuss and understand that moment that we have been finally revealed to
2: plus we've we've traced the fates of the
1: yeah. other two sisters yeah.
2: throughout we've completed theirs and we complete the third i mean where else is there it's, what else is there we to could learn? hear
1: about what the narrator thinks about so he hearing that, but, that information yeah but no it's what we so have to do crazy. with it we are now we are now eel
2: yeah yeah, it's oh, horrible. Yeah. I know. I mean, I think, I think I, something I tweeted once that like a, other Paveze books are kind of like a candle flickering out. If you mm. read The House on the Hill or The Political Prisoner or um, That Beautiful Summer, these are very um, kind of extended codas that sort of they peter out. And I mean that almost in a, in a, in a complimentary way. They fizzle because there's like nowhere else to go. Paveze's pushed the narrative as far mm-hmm. as it can. But this really feels like someone just like, I don't know, like putting out a candle. Yeah, with, a hand with their fingers. It's just the, the, the story is, yeah, the story is
1: snuffed Yeah, down, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote basically. Patrick Priziosi from July 15, 2023. <laughs> Cesar Pavese's novels rarely resolve. Yeah. They just sort of flicker out a few dying bursts of passion or violence. And then there's nothing. It's what makes his writing noise so devastating. Yeah. Wow, smart, guy.
0: That? <laughs> smart guy.
1: We should get him on our show.
0: Yeah, we should write that down after reaching the end of the book what did you think was the significance of the moon and the bonfires of the book's title obviously fire has taken on many different meanings throughout the text but how do you look Mm -hmm. back on it once once you had reached that ending
2: well the moon implies a sort of cycles of sorts so we have the cycles of the seasons for a book so invested in what happens to the land and the harvest obviously the mood would play a part in that but um there's there's very there's something very unsettling about the title as applied yes. to the ending as if this could happen again yeah that's why i think is so compelling about the novel and it it taking place after world war ii but yet there's such a lack of resolve from the war yep. Even no yep. one's
1: reckoned with it.
2: Like we said, there's, there's this. Yeah, it. Uh, people are more so ignoring it, unless literal bodies wash yeah. into town. So there's, we. Yeah, it's almost like we haven't learned. I think Paveze saying that they haven't learned anything from this war. I mean, look what they look what these men did to this woman in said 1945. Even that it happened 1944. Yeah, so it's not even that far away yeah, the from the end of the war. And they they mm-hmm. do this. And they're going on, I mean, I don't think it's, unless I'm missing something in my multiple reads of it, I don't think that this is corroborated, is it? It just seems like a partisan comes out of somewhere and says that this woman has said yeah. X to Y. Oh. And they all are just, they all kind of, they all, they all go.
0: I see, that. they seize upon that as the truth. Yeah. It's not necessarily the mm-hmm. truth.
1: Both moon and fire sort of give birth to uh, something anew, you know, with the new moon to the full and then, you know, the fire to the ash. Yeah. And I think, you know, both in that cyclical way, it, it just makes it feel like what happened before will happen again. In the way that they massacred this woman and, and burned her body alive, at some point later, someone will massacre their family and, and, and burn their livestock. Yeah. There's just. The cycle of violence will never stop.
2: Exactly. And I think Pavezzi also considers it it's a useless cycle of violence also. I think at one point the narrator in telling Sinto about lighting the bonfires isn't as
1: uh, standard
2: of practice yeah. anymore. And he's talking to Sinto about it and Sinto asks why they've done it. And he doesn't really have an answer.
1: They say it's going to like help the land. You know, they, they built... Right. It helps. Moon and fire yeah. are both mentioned as a way to understand and help the land as well.
2: It yes. enriches the land if you put a, if you burn a bonfire at the edge of your crop or something.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a moment where another character saying like the moon is acting this way, so the crops should should you know respond in kind. And so mm-hmm. the land being so important in this book, you know, these two things that make up the title are also affecting that as well. Yeah.
0: Do you see Eel staying and buying some land of his own, or do you see him getting the hell out of there?
1: I think he'll go back. Do you see him being like Paveze and just killing himself? Right. I mean, honestly, I don't. I could, you know. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah. There's a lot. I think a lot of Paveze protagonists
1: have that capability. Yeah. Mm. I don't know where. Anyone goes. Because Pavezzi wrote them, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know where I go after finishing this book. but Yeah. And like, we don't yeah. know where the
0: podcast mm-hmm. goes. We just... Yeah.
1: <laughs> all, all the guests <laughs> we have planned for the right next here. episodes. Just sorry. Gone. <laughs> They're done.
0: <laughs> Was there any any part that you might want to read from the book itself?
2: It's like the whole thing.
0: Just the whole yeah. thing. I know. Just to just give, give people a little bit more of like a positive note to end on because it isn't just all doom and gloom. It certainly is part of it, but the writing is so beautiful.
2: It's, I don't know. It's stunning. I think I can't think of a, another, I remember first reading it and just, I, I was surprised that not only someone could write like this, but that they could just sustain it across mm-hmm. the entire thing. That the, 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 the beauty of the language does not, flag nor does it feel like it's being opposed imposed yeah no
0: no it's persists. very casually tossed off he strikes yeah the,
2: yeah yeah so i think i'd love to read when he takes two of the sisters one yeah. of them favorite parts
1: yeah love that one part. of the many fairs
2: oh yeah i mean the fair they talk about the fairs a lot oh. the shooting galleries the greased poles so that's the
1: stuff i liked and, the bands and, you know casio <laughs> oh, was yeah, like no. get me Give back me the
0: <laughs> <laughs> but but please take it away
2: so this is after he's taken two of the girls in the in the horse and buggy to the fair and he's kind of lost track of them and he says i went to see them dancing on the platform under the big tent the sorority gang was already at it Their sisters were there, but I stood watching because I was looking for the flowered dress and the white one. I saw them both in the light of the acetylene lamp, their arms around their men, their faces on their men's shoulders as the music played and swept them around. I wish I was Nuto, I thought. I went by Nuto's bench and he made them fill my glass, the same as the players. Later, Sylvia found me stretched on the grass near the horse's face. I was lying flat and counting the stars between the plane trees. Suddenly I saw her smiling face, her flower dress between me and the arch of the sky. He's here asleep, she shouted. So I jumped up, and their men made a lot of noise, wanting them to stay longer. Far away behind the church, some girls were singing. One of the men offered to walk them home, but they were the other girls who said, what about us? We set out by the light of the acetylene lamp, and I drove slowly down the dark road, listening to the horseshoes clapping. The chorus behind the church was still singing. Irene had wrapped herself with a shawl. Sylvia talked and talked about the people, the dancers, the summer, criticizing everybody and laughing. They asked me if I had a girl of my own. I said I'd been with Nudo to watch them play. Then little by little, Sylvia calmed down and finally she rested her head on my shoulder, gave me a smile and asked if she could stay like that while I drove. I held the reins and watched the horse's ears.
1: It's honestly so weird reading that now, knowing
2: where it's going.
0: Yeah. But but you know, need that I you know. need the kind of the lightness yeah. and the fairs are part of the harvest schedule. That's what yeah. gets everybody back in the and field. You think
2: yeah, this this one moment of her head on his shoulder, I think, is what he's coming back for. Yeah. yeah, now that everybody yes, yeah. this, this very specific moment in the cart, staring at the and horse's he gets ears, nothing, nothing. And it doesn't. All. get it. Yeah, and there's something. There's a there's a undercurrent of homoeroticism.
1: He says, too, like, "I'm with Nudo." He says, "I yeah. I
2: wish I was Nudo." And he's like, "Oh, did you have a girl?" And he's like, "Uh, no, nah, I was with Nudo." Well,
0: Sinto does, yeah. um, just to give a little resolution, get placed with Nudo, and we learn, oh yeah, we learn that tradition. he's gonna learn Basically. carpentry, and he's also gonna learn the clarinet, which is kind of like the two yeah. sides of life, like the the fair side and the joy and the music, and then the work mm-hmm. and the compromise and the adulthood, um, yeah, and and it's almost like, you know, if that's the narrator, that's a, if that's a piece of the narrator, it's like, well, the future might be a little bit better off.
2: Hopefully. Yeah. I think also I think in that passage too it makes me realize that that is when the narrator knows he's leaving.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh.
2: When he says I wish I was new to, yeah. you know. I think just in that thought because he cannot be Nudo, yeah. he's not Nudo. So what is there for him.
0: And that's what defines him as not Nudo is like I'm not the guy that's here. Yeah. They barely
1: <laughs> give him name. They barely speak yeah. his name. So that, 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 it's Nudo and not Nudo. I know. Yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, and there's, it's to him, it's like Nudo has struck this impossible balance that he can't even, he kind of can't even give name to, you know, this, between this knowledge of the land, a certain way with women, um, a sociability that he mm-hmm. does not have, talent. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I loved the narrator. And the fragments awesome. of him that we get and like what we can piece together about his motivations. I thought that was like a fun puzzle
2: Yeah, throughout the book. And there's something too about him feeling, there's something unreliable about how he thinks about himself as maybe being prematurely aged. Mm. Yeah. When he says, he, he, he's like, I've come back and I'm fat and I'm old. <laughs> and I don't think he, he can be that old or, I mean, I can't speak to his body, but that is just- he seems to, he really seems to have felt that he's aged sure. significantly, even if he right.
0: really has he's or. perceived it that way. Well, is there anything else you want to mention about the book?
2: If you liked this one, I recommend The House on the Hill, which has a similar family within the dark years of World War II in Italy. Um, but that one's within, that one's very much a present tense mm.
0: novel. Okay.
2: And that one, too, I think really, I think that one really puts, it both acknowledges the inevitability of maybe a certain political ambivalence, like an innate political ambivalence that you can't, you can't do away with no Mm. matter what you try, and also is very critical of that uh, political ambivalence, nonetheless.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show. You're a superstar. So much fun. Thank you, guys. And that's our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to Unburied Books. Our theme music is composed by John Hookstra.
1: Join us again in two weeks when we discuss The Other House by Henry James.
0: And in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Unburied Books. Or send us an email at unburiedbooks at gmail.com. We love you. Goodbye.
1: Woo!